All right. Hey, kids. We're here with the fantastic Jenny Petlin. I'm so excited that you came to join us. It's been like a decade, I think, since I've talked to you last, since your brother was doing his little radio show with us. Such a fun time. <laughs> it was crazy. So I was so excited to read your book because, you know, working with your brother, I, I kind of got to know a little bit about your family and what okay. things were like. And then reading your story. Um there was a lot of emotions it brought up for me, you know? I, I struggled with weight as a kid. Um, I have a definite complex relationship with my mother. So there was a lot of things I could relate to. And it was quite the journey that you, you take people on with this book. Um, I kind of wondered what was the motivation for writing it now? Uh, processing trauma. Yeah. That was yeah. motivation. I think um, when I was going through everything, I just kind of compartmentalized it and uh, put it away and was like, oh, later I'll write about this and it'll be funny in hindsight how ridiculous everything is. And that's where the title comes from. Um, this will be funny later was because, you know, every time I experience something traumatic or difficult or funny or anything, I would just say, you know, I'll write about this later and compartmentalize that story and stick it in the bank's and um, process that later really is what I was doing because things moved so fast and got so crazy so fast that I had to do it that way. Yeah. And here's the title of the book and what it looks like. And it's available everywhere. This will be funny later, a memoir. And and that was true. Starting reading it, I was like, your life was like everybody else's until it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. normal for a good seven years, right? Yeah, it was about seven years. Yeah. The, the, um, the important year, formative, the formative years. That's probably why I'm not totally insane. So you, in, so, later on in the book, you were, you, you referred to the whole, um, your, your version of immersion therapy, you know, and, and that's how I felt when I got to the end of the book was like, and that, that was going to be my question for you is that, was this you, you taking your own trauma and processing and taking therapy kind of in your own hands and doing your immersion therapy? Cause you're a writer, you're a great writer. And this was a way of like, yeah processing all of that yeah it was yeah. totally part of the actually in the book where i talk about where everything kind of culminated in like a big old fat nervous breakdown when right maybe like uh six or seven years ago or a little longer um part of my uh exposure therapy immersion therapy whatever they call it um after i like had uh, you know i live on an island with very few resources so i don't mm. suggest anybody do this it was just what i had yeah. as a survivor to continue to survive was to try to kind of handle some things myself. Um, so I did, uh, I did have like a pact with myself that if I was afraid of anything, if anything came up in my life that I was afraid of, whether it be going to Costco, uh, calling the bank to check my balance or writing a book, I was going to do it and just say yes to anything. And I think it was like three days later that my friend reached out and said, are you ready to write that book you've been talking about? And I had to say yes, just because the fear, I was shivering, like my jaw was shivering so badly when she said it, I couldn't like talk. And like, I had to actually hold my, hold my jaw still <laughs> for the conversation with her. And uh, so that's why that was my original motivation for the timing and everything was, was because I had set that goal for myself to um, not let fear control me in any way. And it just so happened at that exact moment. So so was it a cathartic writing process for you? Like, did you find like once you opened the floodgates that things 
really just started to like go. Yeah. So I, they told me to write 70,000 words and I wrote over a hundred thousand words. Wow. And I had to cut a lot of it out, but yeah, it definitely flowed because I'd been holding it for so long. Like I'd been mulling those stories around in my head for so long. And, um, and then when I finally forced myself to take space for myself as a mom with a bunch of kids, um, and really set up like a room or a space. I mean, the space kept changing. Sometimes it was my car, sometimes it was a bathroom, sometimes it was an office, um, park, Starbucks, parked outside Starbucks. I mean, it was really everywhere and things changed like week to week as what was available. But just having the, um, the knowing that I had to spend like four to five hours a day working on it was, um, was, it was the first time I'd ever done anything disciplined like that in any way. So, uh, yeah, just, I, I knew I had a time limit too. I knew like my kids got out of school at a certain hour and I would have to go get them. And so all, all that pressure, I kind of, um, that used to make me buckle. I, it felt good. And it helped me like kind of stay on that path to writing it. It was super cathartic. Um, and it also like, because I have PTSD and I was kind of trying to deal with it on my own, it also sort of opened a Pandora's box mm. And the last few years have been really difficult. And especially like the last year, I also got pregnant with a fifth right. son while I was writing it and COVID my husband lost a job. I think the very last, like the, the tag at the end of the book, I, I talk a lot about what was going on during yeah. the baby yeah. in one hand yeah. and the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> by yourself <laughs> oh man well he goes back to school somewhere else yeah. <laughs> yeah. did you save the extra 40,000 words for a sequel because I haven't had enough of your writing and your story oh thanks me too um, I could it would probably be a little bit weirder I cut out all the weird stuff that's fine <laughs> we're up for that yeah seriously it's pretty weird it's like George Norrie weird so Jenny I don't I don't and honestly, I got to say, reading this book, like, to me, I felt like this would have been the show I think that America's now ready for, right? Like, you talked about in the book that this show that was on the air, Roseanne, had this kind of alternate parallel universe of this PG version of what really was your family. And to me, this behind-the-scenes look into your um, perception of what was going on in your family, right? Because it's your take in yeah. the book. Um, to me, like, this is a more interesting show. Like, this could really be turned into a great miniseries. Or a, maybe I'm working next, on that. That would be fantastic. Like, that's my, my hope for you is to see that come true because I think it would be a great television show. That was um, where I was always going with it, actually. That was my first original idea. And um, I talked to somebody about it and they were like, no, nobody's going to care about you until you have like a name for yourself or have done something. And that was another motivation for, Get the book for writing here. the book too. Cause I've all, oh, that's always been my end game in my head, which, you know, I seem to follow a lot of my mother and a lot of my mom's footsteps, but not intentionally in any way. It's, it's right. just kind of a weird, um, karmic thing, but I've just always felt like this is far more interesting. There was actually a reality show like 10 years ago that they wanted to do about, I moved to Hawaii to manage my mom's macadamia nut farm that she uh, had out there about 12 years ago. And it was hilarious because it was me, my husband, our four kids. We had no idea 
how to do anything and we like taught ourselves all of it and it was hilarious and then they did a reality show called Roseanne's Nuts where they faked like literally every interaction and like made up some weird thing where we were trying to get the nuts packaged or something I don't know but they missed all of the good real content that was right there Uh, and i just really wanted to i really wanted to tell the real story it's way funnier it's always way funnier than the the um what's the word like the one they try to dream up like yeah is never as funny as reality for sure i think you were always funny even when you gave your dolls polio (laughs) and various diseases and ailments and (laughs) i should have been a doctor i wanted to be a doctor and that too, like, I think that was so interesting in the book, like how, how you were so young and you went to LA for the summer and you, you were only able to bring a certain thing and you were fighting with your sister and, and you got, you brought your fake cabbage patch Goldie with you. Yep. I sure and, did. and like that, those little things and how you were so attached and how you always wanted to be with your family. I, I'm, I was yeah. reading it and, and I'm like, you know, this parallel universe of like, you know, like we're kindred because, you know, we were the overweight kids, you know, like in in this complex relationship with our mothers, but you wanted to be with your family. And I'm like, I wanted to get the hell out of there. I didn't, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I'm going to my aunt's house. I don't want to be anywhere near my, so it was so interesting that you, you crave to be with them. I have Stockholm syndrome. You understand. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Joking. No, but I think across the... Go ahead, Kelly. I know, it's because it's funny that you brought up that example because, so, Jenny, you and I are the same age. Um, So, in the beginning of the book, before you really get into more of the trauma and some of the things that happened, it was... Oh, and I did... I listened on Audible. Um, I have a long commute. So, I, like, had your voice in my head all week, which has been weird and cool. Um, So, as you're describing that like what was my childhood as far as like the aesthetics and what the, what the landscape looked like, the outfits, you know, the yeah. whole nine yards. But the other thing too, is that around the same age in my life, my, my parents went through a divorce and we moved into this small dingy apartment and I really didn't have toys or anything. And the thing that I cl- held on to was an Aunt Jemima maple syrup bottle. And I <laughs> thought she was real. And I was telling everybody i was so proud of her like and i'm telling everybody about this maple syrup and i'm like using her and so as you're relaying this story i'm like oh i know that moment and then, <laughs> and, and the, the really weird thing is because you had max right max was the older guy that the, in the neighborhood who would like bring you gifts and yeah. stop in and you know hey dimples so i don't remember in my childhood but i think there was another kid there but maybe not so it's just interesting how your mind kind of when you have to go back in time to those pivotal yeah. moments and like what you held on to. So for me, it was Aunt Jemima, the maple syrup bottle. I don't know. Which is hilarious. And I totally understand. I was obsessed with that bottle. Whenever it was like, my grandma had it. We only, I ever got the like cheap plastic version. <laughs> yes, but my grandma yes. had the real one and it's I would like... just sit there and stare at it. But she used to make dolls out of like shampoo bottles and all that weird stuff. They used to do like the toilet paper like ball gowns and all of that kind of like weird stuff people did when I don't know what we were doing back then. It was 
so your, ridiculous. Did yours well, talk? Because you, mine talked. I know it did. Like, we had conversations. I know I had conversations. With that them. explains I, a lot. I know. Could, could I, I'm just but... saying. So I don't mean to go off on a tangent, but. <laughs> no, I was insane in totally different ways. I need to know who named Papa Woody. I th- it just happened organically, and it was really unfortunate. And I don't think anybody stopped us. And I don't Did anybody know, like... realize at the time that Papa Woody meant a little more than just Papa, who is named Woody? I don't think so, because his name was always Woody. His wife and my, you know, his wife and brothers and siblings and friends all called him Woody. So it was just like, you know, because like Woody's Toy Story, it's fairly innocent until you put Papa in front of it. Um, but <laughs> I think my sister's the first grandkid, and I don't remember her really ever. I think I might have invented it. Maybe I could only say Papa. I, I think it just happened like organically and unfortunately. I think it's beautiful. <laughs> I think these are the things about this book that, you are so relatable and and even though the things that happen and the fame that comes to your mother it's still so grounded and you is it's so relatable you know what i mean that anybody that picks up this book that there's all these pieces that oh i see myself in this i i know this person you know where there's so many people that you would say oh that's a celebrity's kid this is you know that you don't have that with you know like you talk about the first slumber party you went to and how upset you were and you were worried because you were a bedwetter and the girl's cousin was there and you know the clue there was something maybe she was a little slow and that they were so mean to her and it bothered you and like I started getting choked up reading about it how you went and you went and sat with her and left the slumber party and then they yeah. turned around and they were nothing but rotted bitches to you they mean girl to you yeah. and basically kicked you out of the cool club yeah they totally did it was horrible and i it's like the worst part is like how because i'm a really really sensitive person like really ridiculously sensitive and um and even physically sensitive too so i can still i still remember the smell of like the paper and the spit like it's it's stuck in my brain for the rest of my yeah. life i think it's very unfair Cause it's like mean girl to me to all the way till I die. It's our, it's always in there. Yeah. It's going to so, always be there. It's not fair. You just brought up one of the things I wanted to ask about. I mean, it's clear you're empathic. I mean, through the whole book and the way that is, there yeah. are so many, so many points in the book where again, I identified with that where obviously no one could have lived the life that you did, but as Jeffrey said, it's relatable in so many ways. And I, I'm wondering how that, empathic side of you has been affected by this journey and when you look at your boys you know have they have any of them has that been passed down to them because i think you we went into depth in one chapter about you know on the pentland side you, you knew you what did you say you had gods on one side and um when you were talking about the bars and the pentlands like well, oh i should have written that down it was like you had gods on one side and um like kings and oh um oh yeah royalty royalty or oh yeah king, we have royalty yeah. on one side and Sorry. then we had like uh like psychic healers on the other yes yes yeah yes. yeah yeah so, like koanim were on my mom's side that sounds you know it's pretty accurate for now too like we have a lot of i think a lot of empaths tend to kind of lean toward the psychic side 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of um, psychic phenomena is just empathy and people just don't know how right. to read it. And when you're really, really sensitive, it really becomes the same thing in a lot of ways. And um, because of the empathy part of me and the, you know, the sensitivity, I think it was always really, really important for me to have like human connection. Like that's what grounds me and makes me feel like I'm um, going to be okay in some way. Like I like big crowds and stuff freak me out a lot of times because I'm not having those uh, more mm-hmm. human interactions on a one-on-one basis. And I think that that's probably why the book feels relatable because I had to find a way yeah. to be relatable to other people while I was going through that, I knew that our situation was weird. I knew nobody else's <laughs> mom was on TV, but I was so desperate for that, like human connection that I was like, but wait, you know, I, I also, I, I'm fat or like whatever I would throw out. There. <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> my God, um, it's so bad. Well, but, but we've all it's been true. there, we can relate yeah. to yeah. that. Yes. Yeah. yeah, or just like any of the things that I was going through at the time, like I wanted the focus off of you're Roseanne's daughter because I, I needed the human connection and I need, right. I needed people to see me and I needed to be seen. And, um, yeah. so I would overshare, I still do it obviously, but <laughs> like, um, you know, just, just that kind of, I think that's what ends up making me relatable on accident is, is I, my desperation to relate <laughs> to everybody on earth. Well, and how you do it with such great humor. Thank you. Yeah, the book um, was hysterical as well. Hysterical. I mean, there were so many moving the journey. Yeah, I'm sorry, Katrina. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, that's okay. I would just want to hear about your nanny that you had that uh, was telling you about her PCP use and how you guys threatened to tell on her illicit drug use in exchange for her silence if she gave you yeah. guys sauerkraut yes please tell me how on earth sauerkraut anything you chose sauerkraut because i think i have been on crash that now we know in the 2000s and 20s how important probiotics are for your mental and physical health and your bellies (laughs) and all of it and i think like i had been on the right (laughs) for so long that i like didn't have a single probiotic. I just spit on my phone and say, I just think that I have murdered every single positive oh, bacteria God. in my body. And I really, really wanted some pro- probiotic. Your body will crave the things you need. Yeah. yeah. I, I okay, like but how did you how did you convince your siblings that they also wanted sauerkraut? I think they also were starving to death and had whatever form of uh, scurvy <laughs> I had. It, I think they were into it too. I think they had the same, like not Jessica so much because she was getting her probiotics, sharing cigarettes with people on the street. <laughs> but me and Jake, like, yeah, I I just really want I really wanted sauerkraut. I don't, I think that's why. Because like I don't... you were a visionary. <laughs> yeah, your sort life would have gone in a completely different direction if you had launched <laughs> that idea twenty years ago. Like, See, I, intuitively, these empaths they yes. know like gut biome is going to be a thing, and not washing your babies after birth is going to be so important. And let me right? just tell you about the future. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that was awesome. I found it incredibly hard to believe, but amazing that you had your parents padlock the fridge 
because you were on another crash course crazy oh my diet. God. Yeah, that's just what insane. was that like? Insane. Uh, I'm a girl who likes a challenge. I ate myself right past that fridge log. <laughs> that part was insane. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you strategy. The acrobats. Like I wish in you this book. seen it. Oh, you could see it. You paint the picture in this book of how you got past the lock on the fridge, you got your arm in, and how you learned you had to like <laughs> and you had to clean your hand off and then yeah, the you figured hand. you had to clean the lid. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, because it was Jenny. Laura Scudders. That was the only peanut butter we were allowed in the house was that natural peanut oh, butter. And you had to like they shouldn't have even locked it up. No, nobody even wants that. But it was when, like the only thing I could get at. It was, you know. Even your description of the peanut butter, like I remember the first time we bought natural peanut butter, or some oh, terrible human oh. bought it. And your description, I almost drove off the road on my way to work because I'm like, yes, yes, that is I remember that jar. And you're like, what do you do with this? The top's all oily and disgusting. Like the, the whipped oil peanut butter? Oil. Ugh. Yes. Ugh. Well, what you do with it is you take a shower after you dip your arm in it. Yeah, That's you have you to. You, you smell like peanuts. No, you have to take a shower after that oil gets on you. There's no way, like, <laughs> you can't just give yourself an arm bath or any well, of that. Somehow it gets all over everything. I just think now as a parent, I mean, first of all, I'd be in prison, though, if I, I padlocked the fridge. But I just think that if my kid went to the lengths that you did to get to the peanut butter in the refrigerator, they that I'd go and buy them a cake. You know what I'm saying? Right? Like, yeah. I would be so impressed that what you did, what you went through, like, how could you not laugh? You know what I mean? I just pictured your parents, like, in the bedroom, losing their mind, smoking their weed that they had in the garbage <laughs> bag or whatever it was in the closet. <laughs> Like being like, can you imagine her? Like she is getting the peanut butter out of the bread. Like just, I mean, how could you not? Yeah. And it I was think, just peanut butter. I mean, no matter what it was, I was going to get it. It could have been frosting <laughs> and it could have been any, it could have really been anything yeah. except for like rice, minute rice. Cause I, I think like I say in there too, we were on the rice diet during the time when that happened. So you could, you were supposed to eat rice for breakfast, rice for lunch. And like a grapefruit for breakfast and then for dinner, like a sensible four ounce filet of chicken with nothing on it. Oh, so Kat, you brought up the peanut butter. The Mm -hmm. other kind of like theme throughout the book is like, you are the master of crime scene cleanup. (laughs) I mean, really like again and again, you're like, so folks, yeah, if you're ever in this situation where, you know, you're trying to smoke an illegal cigarette and uh you know reform school yes. bathroom and you oh, know i mean that was crazy <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then what was the finishing touch and then you wiped the walls down with, with toothpaste, toothpaste to get the mints yeah to get the mint smell <laughs> yeah and i'm dying i'm like god where were you in my life like i it was genius some okay, of this... that was handed down knowledge though from sure. people who were already in there in the system yeah, there was a. It was very much like um, when I watch prison movies, and there's always somebody who's like, "I've been in here forever, and this is what we do." And you're like, oh, "Okay," <laughs> and then you added like a new little twist, like, "Hey, what if we put toothpaste on the walls?" And it works. <laughs> it totally worked. We didn't get caught. I mean, they would always be like, "Is somebody smoking in here?" Like there was always, and then you'd just be like, "No, prove it." But we had the unit above us, and they were adults, and they were allowed to smoke. So we'd be like, oh, somebody ah, open the vents up there. Down. Must have been them. 
plausible oh deniability. And then you talking about what you would do, how you'd get the guy from across the 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 way oh to get you. You the what so whatever good. her name was that was there for like a week. She'd flash the guy to get you cigarettes, and he'd put him through the vet. I mean. Mm -hmm. And, and again, like the stories, the pictures that were painted, there was one part in the book where I, I was laughing out loud so hard that the kids were like, what's so funny? What's so funny? And I couldn't tell them because it, you were talking about how there was some kid that was in there that you was your friend and how you had to keep the nurse busy for him. Oh my God. And how, I, I and, and I'm like, and I'm texting them and I'm like, oh my God, wait till you get to this part, right? And I'm texting because there was like that's six of us. Me, that that's I, what made me buy the book. Him I, got, I, I had everybody that does, that's not, like, because there's a bunch of different shows on the channel. I'm like, you guys have got to read this. It, it, you're on the second floor out the window. And I'm like, I got the nurse busy for him because that's what you do when you're in these places. You got to look yeah. out for each other. And I'm watching from the second window, room him on, go, go, go. <laughs> and, and there he goes, gets three feet out and he gets tackled to the ground. He didn't make oh. it far, but I did my part. I did my I, part. The way, and I'm doing no justice to how she wrote this line and how she wrote this. None whatsoever. When I tell you guys, I was in tears. <laughs> Hysterical. Like how, I mean, he just got tackled to the ground. Like what, you, you oh, just yeah. cheering him on from the second. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, run, run. And that same vent <laughs> that you would open to get the cigarettes pulled through. I, you have to stand on the bottom windowsill because these were huge windows, but they were um, black, like the double, whatever people couldn't see in. Because mm -hmm. you couldn't have curtains or you'd hang yourself. So that was it. But it had like a, a ledge at the bottom so you could stand on the ledge and like stick your face up enough so that you could kind of screen through the top vent, which was like this sort of U-shaped vent that went down. And I was just screaming, run, because I could see from up above that they were coming to get him. And he knew they were chasing him, but I just was like, you know, you just want to be like, give him that little extra encouragement somebody <laughs> might need when they're running from people like that. But no, they slammed him on the pavement. They slammed him down, and I was like, oh. And uh, it turns out he had, like, a, a screwdriver in his pocket or something. So, like, they oh. they really, like, did full-on uh, police-style, like, restraints oh. on him in front of me. It was pretty brutal. It was awful because I loved that guy, and he was so – he was, like, frail. He actually, now that I think about it, looked exactly like my 14-year-old. Oh, God. But, now, um, have you heard – like, have any of these people, like – maybe read the book and like been like hey jenny that was me i was there i was the guy that tried to run away um i hope that they do i had to change everybody's name so i i hope that when people read right. it that they don't write it like go search for their name and don't see it i hope they read it and try to figure out who they might have been in there if if i right. had to change a name but um i'd love to hear from him again i don't remember what i called him in the book but i remember his real name um and that that was like most people there's been a couple people um i've been friends with a lot of the people that i was in there with online for a long time because of facebook but there there was a couple of people recently who wrote me and said that they remembered me from different places but i didn't really remember them too much or or have any details about like there was a lot that i did black out too you know it, it was like crazy 24 7 all the time so like i just remembered the sort of pivotal or really ridiculous or really painful or really funny things one at one moment in the book that really um kind of hit me pretty hard was your birthday 
we uh, we actually just did a show about like how birthdays and what they trigger for us and trauma. Um, and for one of your birthdays, you, they were taking you out to dinner. You were excited because you were going to eat as much as you wanted. And your parents got cake. into it. Yeah, and you were going to eat the damn cake. And she popped them in the chops in the car. And you didn't get to go to the damn restaurant. Nope. I didn't Everything get to go to the damn restaurant. And, and I was horrified for you. Like what, how did that, like how has your birthdays affected for that after that? Uh, how were they my, like, I hate, affected from that? I know what you're saying. I hate, I hate all holidays. I hate Christmas. I hate Hanukkah. Yeah. I hate them all. Um, I try to celebrate for my kids sake, but I don't it's, think yeah. that there is a single one besides Halloween where it's not just wrapped in some kind of like, you know, just sorrow for me, just every birthday and um, every holiday really, except for really Halloween, because that was one that like, I don't know. Nobody can really ruin Halloween. I don't think, but I still like Halloween, but the rest of them are like, you know, this last Christmas, I was like, I can't, I've had enough trauma reading or writing the book and then reading it out loud i was like i just can't do it like i'll give you guys a 100 bucks each to buy your own presents and leave me the fuck alone because i'm not doing a tree and i'm not doing any of that i'm sorry (laughs) but what is that like for jeff because from what you said he had the exact opposite he had like such the normal such the traditional you know wasn't allowed to even watch you know modern television as a child so and that was part of what we were talking about the other night on, on the other show was about, so we have these childhood traumas. We have these feelings about holidays and birthdays and big events. And then you go ahead and uh, get married or introduce other people into your life who look at you like you're some kind of freak because you don't have warm, fuzzy feelings about these big days. Yeah. And so, like you said, you kind of, yeah. you shift into being someone else for the benefit of your spouse, your kids. So how is I that? I didn't do when- that part. I should have tried. <laughs> I should have tried to shift into being somebody else, but I've just ruined every single one of their holidays instead. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Not really. we can go that. <laughs> they, they at least get money to go get their own presents and they get what they want. So we did actually like every once in a while because my kids are more nostalgic than I am. And one of them will ask, like my 21 year old, like um, when he was like eight, we moved to Hawaii like right before Christmas. So I was like, we're not doing anything. Sorry. And he's like, please just go get us one present each. And um, so I took them. I let them each pick out a present. And they unwrapped them. I didn't didn't wrap them. I'm not going to wrap them. They picked them out. They know what's in there. So then later that night, they, like, played with their toys. But then when everybody went to bed, my 21-year-old, who was eight at the time, he repackaged everything. And there was this topiary tree um, in the other room that he like dragged in and he put their presents back under the tree. And I, I, that, and then I felt bad cause I'm like, Oh no, this oh. is like, it's important to them. So, you know, we did that. And then we went to the beach the next day and celebrated Hawaiian style and somebody brought snow off the mountain and we made a snowman on the beach in Hawaii. So like things, cool. things are, they, things happen. And, um, every year since, and I've, I've tried to do something, but it's just really hard for me. And I, I don't think they understand the trauma. I don't want them to understand the trauma around it, but like I'll set right. up a Christmas tree and I can find it pretty and everything. But, um, yeah, I don't want presents. I don't like when other people buy me presents. I don't like being put on the spot. I don't like being forced to celebrate just all those things where you just, 
you know you're going to go into a trauma response so i just don't want yeah. anybody looking at me while i do it i can do it fine when no one knows what's going on but i don't want anyone to know but then like one year we made a tree out of garbage on our <laughs> on our dining room table cool. and, oh i love it That's and cool. this year they were like can we at least please have a bunch of sugar and some hot chocolate and watch a movie so we did that so i try to do whatever like if, if there's something that's really important to them and they and they really like then then i try to do it but we don't have like a lot of the traditions because you know i think your sense of time gets screwed up too when you have uh trauma like you're you're just still always a little bit in survival mode where you can't get into that oh it's autumn i'm gonna take my pumpkin sculptures out of the fucking garage or whatever put them in my house i'm like no well, i'm just trying to survive the day there's no pump there's not gonna be any pumpkins on my table like I'm, I'm just trying to get to night to do there's always family drama around holidays i think it just brings out the worst in everybody mm-hmm. yeah yeah i don't i don't i don't like them either you know, I don't mind celebrating. There was one, uh, like a few years where we were all broke, all of us kids. So we decided that we were going to um, celebrate when everything went on sale. So like January 3rd. And, <laughs> we, <laughs> and we did that and we all got good presents and like everybody was super happy and like the pressure was off. And um, I'm like, that's the best decision we've ever made. So for a few years, we did that. And I liked that. That didn't bother me. But it's like, yeah, you're right. It is traumatic again and again and again every time. But you start yeah, your own traditions. That what? But you start your own traditions. Yeah, I, but I think one of my traditions, unfortunately, is to have no traditions. I, I think that's what you kind of have to do when you go through a lot of crazy family dynamics. Um, yeah. And I think it's hard, too, for people that didn't have those kind of family blowups and all that stuff happen they don't understand right yeah. it's hard for them to really comprehend what it's like to be like i can't have the normal thing and just need mm-hmm. the yeah. need to blow it all up you know yeah. um and that was something i had to learn for myself and i kind of blew up all the family traditions and i don't do any of that and people are like what do you mean what do you mean and i'm like i can't it's not something i can do either so I, i'm right there with you it's 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 a difficult thing i don't like holidays i don't like birthdays um, you know, I do yeah. the best that I can for the kids and just try to get through it, you know, um, so my, it's a difficult thing. It's, yeah, it's, it really it's hard. Is. Yeah, for sure. I have a question. You said you don't like all of the attention being on you and it sort of makes you uncomfortable. How are you handling all of these interviews, all the media, all the press, all the attention that you have to get in order to tell everyone about your book? How's that going? Well, fortunately, I decided to come to L.A. with my four younger kids by myself with no help. And so I don't have time to think about what is happening, which is really, really good for me. I think it's good for me to just be way too busy to like, because if I was here alone and any of this was happening, I would run it over and over in my head and um, I'd get myself all worked up. I had a meeting today. And it was an important one to me. And um, I had to nurse him and jump in the car and I was running late. And then, then I missed the exit on the freeway. I'm the, in the book, it talks about how bad I am at directions and navigating <laughs> yes. city streets. Today was no exception. So I passed the exit and I'm turning around and I get there and like, I have a big Ford F-250, like 
no, that's a long story. Like a farm truck out here, and <laughs> oh. I'm going to this like fancy meeting in this private club or whatever. I had to call ahead and be like, "Can can you valet a giant truck?" <laughs> and by the time I got there and got out, the person I was meeting was standing right there, and I was just like, "Oh, hi, nice to meet you." Whereas if my life was calm and everything was fine, I think I would have just, I might have panicked and not made it and like had just a full blown panic attack because there was a minute in the car where that kind of started happening when I realized I forgot my CBD oil and that I was going to like not have that like kind of crutch in my purse to like, because that's one of my things that like really helps me. Just a basic one with no THC though, but it really helps me just with anxiety and I forgot it in the baby bag. And I started to think about that, but I was like, parking, parking. So I think that part of this is, it's good that I'm just completely overwhelmed. And like, So Kat brought up the, the fact that, you know, obviously now you need the attention of the media and everything. And so what is that like? So and one of the best parts of the book is like when the family finally, after Tom is out of the picture, you guys all really reconnect or connect for the first time as a family. Yeah. One of the favorite things you guys love to do is prank the paparazzi. Like yeah, this well, direction. Like what better prank is it than to write a book talking right. shit about the press and have the press want to talk to you? <laughs> Thank you. That's what I was because that mm-hmm. part I'm having fun with. The other day Good. I had to do some news channel where everybody was real cute and put together and I had just woken <laughs> up and I had had a bad night the night before. And uh I woke up and I was just in a mood is a nice way to say it. And uh, I, they were trying to lead me to get me to say, like, you know, a lot of people want to know, how did you ever forgive your mom? Uh, they don't ever ask me how I forgave my dad. Right. Which, mm. you know, right away they asked me that. And I'm like, mm. fuck you. I locked my eyes mm-hmm. on you. I'm like, so she asked me that. And I was like, you know, telling her I didn't feel like I ever had to forgive my parents. And, well, who'd you, who'd you need to forgive? And I'm like, the world and the press. Right. And, um. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay. And I'm like, and myself and everything else. Like, but like, it's very, like, I'm enjoying that part of like having the press, like People Magazine did a a segment and like in the book, maybe I changed the name of the magazine or whatever, but I wrote a thing about how like uh, People Magazine had published this like incorrect, salacious headline or whatever and how it affected me in my life. So that moment in the book where where I had this huge aha, I didn't see that coming, was it was um it was when you were at one of the facilities and you kept begging the staff to tell you like what's really wrong with me? Why am I here? Like what is the deal? And I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm like gripping my steering wheel, going, mm-hmm. "Why is she here? Like what is okay, it? Yeah. Like what did you say? You said I, I wrote I wrote this down that you were just you know." You, you were a I know, I know, I know. You know, she's got a cat. What is it? What did she say she was? <laughs> um, holding a million dollar insurance policy. Yes, but you said you said you were a mouthy, fat little bitch, but that wasn't a reason <laughs> to be like, you know, that was how you described yourself. But, but yeah, so like, how did accurate? How what did that feel like when you like you connected the dots there and they said, yeah, really, the only reason you're here is you've got great insurance. It's going to be a hard pill to swallow. You're a meal it ticket. was a really hard pill to swallow, I think, mostly because I was 14 and I wasn't at that time ready to admit that every adult on the planet didn't have 
some sort of uh, bene- like beneficial or a loving intent for me. Like, I, you know, you, you kind of have that like, oh, I'm everybody loves kids and I can trust all adults. And, you know, it, it was the first time that I was like, holy shit. Surprise. Surprise. You're like, and, you know, I thought up until then that um, I think I sort of thought that it was just a mistake that I was there a misunderstanding or a mistake and just that they didn't know what to do with me or have anywhere better to put me. And, you know, it was just kind of like, uh, for lack of a better idea sort of thing. Um, but I was starting to think there has to be something more because there's no way you can keep somebody in a place like that. You're not, you know, like it was a six week program in general. And I was there already at this point, like eight or nine months. And, um, when I asked, I tried to get a hold of my chart is what happened because I wanted to see what they're writing in there about me. Every time anybody came around me, they're scribbling in this chart. And I was like, what are they writing? Like, what what are they going to like write what I'm wearing? Or, you know, there's not even anything interesting to say about me. Like, what is it? What's in that fucking chart? And I wanted to see it and I tried to get it. And, um, and the nurse blocked me and I got all mad and I went outside and there was a uh, staff member out there that was a recovering addict. He wasn't like a classically trained therapist. He didn't have a PhD or anything. And uh, I said, I want my chart. I want to look in it. I want to see if I'm crazy. What are they calling me? What label are they giving me? What does it say? And, and uh, am I crazy? And he said, you're not crazy. You have the best mental health insurance I've ever seen. You're worth a million dollars a year. And I was 14 and I was just like, you know, that meme where that blonde lady's just kind of looking and the numbers are running in her head, like matrix style kind of where she's just trying to figure something out and do the math. So I'm sure for a minute that I was like trying to do the math because I couldn't fathom that, that that kind of stuff actually happened. Like, you know, I was like in America and, I was a young white kid and like, you know, I just hadn't been exposed to any of that kind of like the system or, or any of that yet. And, um, I guess I had, I just didn't know. Yeah. You didn't realize you were the human currency. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was like, oh my God, I'm like, I felt dirty all of a sudden. I felt like I'd been trafficked or something. And, you know, and going back and looking at it, there is an element for those kids that do, and adults too, anybody who's being used to make money, be it off their, you know, mental health or physical health or whatever, um, there, there is an element of that. Like when you're commodified as a human being, that's not okay in any way. Like, it's just not okay. And, you know, I get all fired up about that. So I'll save it. But once he told me that I ran away and I was like, I'm not going to make these people any more money. But then I came back later because I ran out of my own money and didn't have anywhere to go <laughs> yeah your, your little like detours each time oh you ran gosh. away were like Amazing. epic <laughs> epic each one it's like i'm like oh where are we going this time what are we going yeah. where are we going where's our little trip like i don't know like i really kind of felt like i was there with you on this little adventure like where are we going what's gonna happen oh dear god it was scary and then i, I can't remember now where are we in the timeline of all this but at one point you were in New York and I think you were in a coffee shop or something, or you were in some kind of store and, and there was a homeless man outside and oh, you went wow. to go give him your food. The, and, and 
it ended up being like you being the good person that you are like again mm-hmm. we're seeing this is a recurring theme throughout this book that you have this caring heart you see this homeless man outside you go to give him your food and it's a, a it damn paparazzi. paparazzi whips out whips camera. out the camera and tricks you yeah and like this was but, something like right and you said i think that photo that's the one that has the photo that people can like still find today right that's yeah it's you, you can and find jake or whatever it's on Getty Images or whatever. It's my mom trying to flag down a, a taxi, and I'm just standing there with like my bleach blonde hair and being a good thirty pounds overweight. At like I think I was like maybe thirteen, twelve during that. I was twelve. Oh, so this is so, younger before all that. Yeah. Yeah, it was before all that. It was like right before all of that. But that was like the beginning of it. But yeah, that was like. Um, that was another eye opener right there. It was just like, mm-hmm. oh, what just happened? I was like, that's a really nice camera for a homeless person. Like it didn't. We could trade that for a lot of stuff. Which one of these things is not like the other? Yeah, mm-hmm. it was really weird. And like to think that somebody would do that to a kid too, because that was really like, um, I don't know. It was weird because I was trying to give him the food, and he stood up and opened his coat to me and took his camera out. And I know his going after my mom but i don't know i if i was him i probably would have just taken the food and waited a couple of minutes and then right. started taking pictures right because how do you do that like, to a kid okay? yeah like there the was kids a lot being of stuff sweet that people, yeah it's it i think um there's a few celebrities recently that have had some laws passed um Kristen. yeah Stuart, maybe is that her no, name? Um, no no no, okay, I don't no. Follow, I don't bell and there was a few other celebrities that were in on it too but they had some laws changed i think 10 or 15 years ago um to protect kids so the press isn't allowed to hound kids for uh anything a job that their parent does which would have been a blessing then too because mm-hmm. you know right. they used to shove us over and and step over us and um you know it was just like no no uh grace no or mercy or i don't even know respect it was it's insane a, it's amazing to me though every in each the, like the recurring theme in the book through all these traumas and things that happen that you still keep talking about how much you love that you're looking at the best in everybody and the people that you love in your life like that comes through so clearly yeah. in the book it really does like your love for people, your love for life, you're wanting to be yeah. seen, you're wanting to connect with people and not yeah, believe gross. the worst in them. Like, it's not no, gross. It's, I think it's, it's amazing. It's, it's, <laughs> I see myself in that. Like I'm, gui- I, I'm guilty of that, but no, it's amazing for everything that you've, you know, you've lived through and experienced and that you're still, you're still seeing and finding the good in people. Well, I think um, I've been through so much. I have, but it's all been like weird kind of like polar opposite reality. So like when I grew up, we grew up really poor and we were the poor ones on the street and we were also the trashy ones on the street and the ones who didn't go to church and like, and then all of a sudden we're like these ones that are in Hollywood and everybody wishes that that was their, they wish they had that Hollywood princess story. And then and then all of a sudden I'm gone to reap all the benefits. I'm locked up. So I didn't get, so it just kept going like from one extreme to another in a way that was so strange. But at the same time, like I, 
I think that because of that, because the situation was always so crazy, it really left the human connection part. Like that was the only uh, thorough, like the only thorough line. That was like the only part of my real thing experience as a human being so far that has made any sense. Like everything else is so ridiculous, but then you meet somebody, you connect with them and you're like, Oh, this is important. This is important. Yeah. This connection is important. And you know, my spiritual beliefs have grown to, to be where that's, that's, uh, you know, like that's it. That's all that matters is that, that love that we all have for each other, that we work so hard to like destroy and get away from and to disprove and to make smaller. And, you know, when left to our own devices and, when we're not in like that trauma response or don't have something to prove or we're not identifying so deeply with our earth personalities. I mean, there's nothing there, but that connection and that love. And, you know, I think part of it's having kids too, where the first couple of years they can't talk mm -hmm. and it's all that, um, yeah. that it's all about that connection. Like, and even glances on the street, you'll see somebody make eye contact and it'll be more, more of a connection than you've made with people that have been in your life for a long time. So there's just that's something true. else going on here. And like, uh, um, that's what I'm interested in. I don't give a shit about the suffering or any of that of my own. I'm saying, I don't, I don't okay. like look at it like that anymore. I'm just like, wow, what an interesting perspective I've had that have has really like washed away all the illusions of what this experience is and left me with nothing but my desire to continue to connect to people and love people. And I still love them. Even the people who like, I still love Tom Arnold. I still love him. And um, I don't know if that's Stockholm syndrome or like if I really do, but I do like, I have love for him and, um, and everybody, everybody in my path, I have some kind of love for it. And you have like, um, you just, you just have that like appreciation for, even if it's just negative shit that they brought in, that's all transformative in a way, you know? So I, I, I think, think that like, just really goes to say who you are as a person, you know, like what all of these experiences that you've had in your life and what you've gone through it really reflects as to who you've become as a woman, as a mother, and who you've grown into as a person that you can sit here and say that if somebody reads the book, um, and they can come to their conclusions, you know, as to what, how, what Tom, what role his, you know, in all that was that you can sit here and say that you have love for him. still. you know, I think that's yeah. an amazing thing. Um, also, what you were saying, how your experiences have led you to be able to kind of see through all the BS all over the world. I thought it was interesting when you're introduced to Scientology that you're like, <laughs> oh no, I can see right through you. I see through yeah. you, I see through you, I see through you. I know what that is, I know what that is. But you know what, since I have a free pass, I'll check it out just to amuse myself. Yeah, that was morbid I, curiosity, that, that one. was fascinating. I know I would do this. I'm not going to lie. I would be just at, like, I'm a nosy, just kind of a person anyways. Yeah, it's totally nosy. Like, I'm always kind of like, totally like there's a car accident. I'm like, Oh, what happened? Decapitation. <laughs> okay. You know, I'm just, well, that's, but you like one of the, my favorite stories too. And that was you, you did a fake journal to, to throw yes. them off with all oh these crazy God. things that you were doing in and, there, and which was the end. riot. And I'm like, <laughs> 
And in the end, you were like, ha ha. Sorry. Just kidding. I had a fake journal because I knew my mom was like snooping around my business and she had been doing that to my sister. My sister had recently gotten sent away. So it was like one of my bratty, like little act of defiance thing was to get a journal and write all these fake entries. And then like at the end of it, I was like, how'd you enjoy that mom? Or I said something bratty like that. And, and the stories were awful. I mean, they were just really awful. Like everything that you'd be terrified to read about your 12 year old, 13 year old doing. <laughs> and then at one point money. you come back, you sneak your boyfriend in, oh, you get sent away okay. again. You come back for a weekend. Jake's got his girlfriend practically living at his house. Yeah. Yeah. You, you end up at like a survival wilderness camp, which, by the way, after I'm going to need the name and phone number four because I'm going to send my kid there. Um, and then you, you graduate and you're free. Yes. I got sent to like nine places in there. But yes, eventually that did happen. Wow. And then you're 18. You have surgery and untouchable. <laughs> and you get so, this um, apartment and what happened sorry Kelko oh, um, no, go ahead go ahead I was gonna <laughs> say was there we're, we're all too polite no you no you um but because during those years when the show was really taken off and the rest of the family was I don't want to say stereotypical Hollywood but when that that all was happening you weren't living any part of that life was there any part of of your life that was, I don't want to say reaping the benefits or the perceived benefits of having, you know, the rags, the riches kind of story. Cause it doesn't, it didn't sound like any of that ever happened. No, 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 no I never felt like that. I was too fat to go shopping for cute clothes. They didn't have them back then. They just had Lane giant or Lane Bryant. <laughs> Oops. I always, um, but like I think that would have been maybe the only benefit is cute clothes, mm -hmm. and I didn't even have that benefit. No, I don't. I never felt like I reaped any benefit from it, which is probably why I had a negative experience of it. I mean, like you know, the money my mom made was what was keeping me in those places at that point. Um, when I got out and I was an adult, I turned eighteen in Venice, in Italy, on the, and I was out on the balcony drinking a bottle of wine by myself and um you know we wouldn't have been able to travel like that as the the earlier life pentland oh so, that was um, a great story chocolate chocolate yeah, yeah my mom's like, there was a cute touching little die? thing yeah that one i wish you could get like even better visual do you want to die i wish i could do it this it's how she talked to that guy because it was like the whole world yeah. stopped for like the one second where i was like there was just no air on the planet for one second. Cause I was like, she will, she will murder you. Like I was just watching the interaction from outside of it. And it, it was like some kind of, it was a little bit of black magic. Maybe it was amazing. <laughs> but, that, but that whole trip, that wasn't just to celebrate your birthday though. Wasn't that to like escape from the world? Because yeah, the, the, like it was hot in the kitchen. Like what was going on there? Yeah. My mom and Tom decided to finally get divorced and like the press, like, um, they were all over us. Like I had just gotten home and I was already being followed and um, we couldn't leave our house. Like we'd lay my mom down in the back of the car and she had a limo that she owned at that point. Cause she was renting one every day for so many years. She just got one. And, um, and we would drive the limo out. So they would think that that was her and they would go chase the limo around town. And um, 
and then we would hide her in the back of one of the employees small you know honda civics or whatever and and we would go do something we would go eat or something like that or just go to the del taco drive-thru or something real you know that we couldn't do when they were around us all the time so it got really really bad because that that divorce was so public and back then there wasn't like um we were like the only people a couple families maybe were going through is like oj because he murdered some people but like it was him and us and like maybe one other person that was on every news station every night like current affair all of them every night was like covering some aspect of something and we couldn't do anything without it being turned into like a full-blown story it was ridiculous and my mom was like i've got to get out of here you know i got to get out of here and get out of the circus and you know away from tom and um he he followed her to Sardinia, I think. Wow. Um, and then she just freaked out even worse and was like, I got to go somewhere where no one knows why, where I am. So like we, us kids didn't even know where she was. We just got on an airplane and landed and, um, and her bodyguard came to pick us up like and take us out into the, or a car came and got us or something and took us out into the country. And, um, and it, it was crazy then too. So no, that didn't even like fully feel like a celebration a of your birthday. But wasn't that the same trip where she won a flashing the boat of people come to find out? <laughs> See, that felt like a benefit. Yes. That and then it ended up all being American. Being American tourists. <laughs> Thanks, Roseanne. <laughs> we loved it. I know. And we just sat there because we were already sitting down and had ordered food and we we're like, fuck it, let's just eat. Put your head down, let's eat. But yeah, that was, I mean, those kind of things to me actually were the benefit, like being able to be playful in a way you couldn't be playful if if you were just somebody off the street and you get locked up, like doing some of the stuff we did like that, you know, just um, pranks and um, pranking the paparazzi and stuff like that. That always felt like, uh, I don't know, a benefit, I guess. Sadly, dropping water balloons for, on people's heads. Yeah, the reward for time served or whatever. Yeah. 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 And like, you know, a little bit more, like, we get away with stuff too. Like, you know, if you drop water balloons on someone's head and, and like, you know, the police would come yell at you, maybe ticket you or something. But like, you know, we knew we could get away with little things like that that other people couldn't. So that part was fun. But fun in like an ironic sort of fun, but. Right. Yeah, I never really felt a benefit. And then when I lived in LA and was, I'd say like 18 to 23, I just wanted to, I knew I wanted to have kids like early. And um, I was a nanny. My brother was born when I was 19. I was his nanny. Then I started nannying for a family at Temple that had triplets. And then when I was there nanny, I got pregnant with my son. So like after that, it was just all about like, okay, let's go get on this breeder plan and (laughs) <laughs> get this done and uh and then it was just having kids and you know having a fairly normal life we had a really normal life and um for them until until my oldest was about eight so when I was pregnant with my 12 year old and we moved to Hawaii and that was normal too I mean it was just we did a lot of farming stuff raised animals and <laughs> I mean normal for people who aren't city dwellers. okay wait can I you moved to Hawaii and in eight days, you were homeless. Yeah. Yeah. Well, after that. That was crazy. <laughs> <Can> we- <laughs> Somebody told me, someone there was like, 
don't move here unless you want all your karma to boil to the surface. And I was like, what? Me? Karma? No. Um, and it was it was eight days. And then I was like, somebody's like, this island will test you and see if you're worthy of living here. And I was like, that's even, you know, I'm a spiritual person, but, you know, fuck you. Um, and then <laughs> eight days, and I was like, I want to go home. But I had my house was on the market and like our stuff was already, I don't know, it was crazy. Um, so, yeah, we did. I mean, it, it was struggles the whole time. I think when I say a normal family, what I mean is struggling, no, yeah. constant gotcha. struggling, yeah. lots of surprises. Um, when you do your mini series, you have to come back on and tell okay. us where we can find it. Okay. Because your three biggest fans are right here. <laughs> yes. Hi, you're sweet. Thank no. you. And I, I, it was so funny because when the book was over and I was like, I'm going to miss Jenny's voice in my head every day <laughs> because I just really, it was, you have a great reading voice. I mean, you're a gifted writer, but I really enjoyed the cadence and I'm, I'm thankful that I was able to experience the book um, with you reading it. No, oh, thank so you. That's really it was, sweet. It was very cool. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.